The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. And away we go. It's a, another edition of the Arrowhead Pride Editor Show. My name is Pete Sweeney. I'm the editor-in-chief of ArrowheadPride.com, joined once again by my esteemed deputy editor, John Dixon. John, I know a lot of people are excited that we have an episode dropping on the first day of the new league year, but more importantly to me is two days away from St. Patrick's Day. Where does St. Patrick's Day fall on your holiday power rankings, John? Uh, it's not even on there. I, oh, I, come on. I, I rarely go any Soda place bread. on St. Patrick's day. I, oh, I, I'm just, God. it's just not really a thing for me. I will say that, uh, I went to the parade, uh, the, for the first date, my first date with Terry 12 years ago, oh. we went to the, we had actually met before that, but then we, the first time we met after our first meeting, we went to the St. Patrick's day parade and had a very nice day. And we've been a couple of times since then, but it's not really, a thing that I do. I'm sorry to disappoint you. You would think that after such a monumental event, the first date with your lovely wife, that you would lean into the holiday, John. I'm, I'm not only uh, disappointed, I, I worry if, if she hears this, she's going to maybe be a little bit upset about it. Oh, she she's aware of it. And and uh, and and we have gone and she knows that we've gone more often than than I might have if it was just up to me. She, you know, she's somebody who will buy a new green shirt every year and she'll say, you mm. need to get one. I'm like, no, I don't need, I don't need another green well, shirt. I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to take the lead here on behalf of John and myself, Aaron Gobrach to you <laughs> and yours. Don't even pay any attention to the, the man behind the curtain. Okay. We got a, a big show here. It is day one of the new league year. We actually recording a couple hours before. So this would be us on new year's Eve about nine o'clock p.m. <laughs> if we were doing it for the real new year uh, where we would be talking about what that means and it is a little anticlimactic it it feels always john a, a little dumb to me mm-hmm. that we have a the scouting combine which is the tampering haven usa followed by what begins to be legal tampering, which started on Monday, and you have all these deals coming through. Nothing is more silly than the fact that teams that have trades during this time can't even officially report that they've acquired a player. They have to wait until the new league year. So you'll see transactions that come out right at 3 p.m. Arrowhead time on today, Wednesday. 
And I wish that they would alter these rules and, and just kind of admit that everyone talks here, but we are still doing the the show and, and the dance of, well, none of these deals can become official until the new league year begins. You know, one of the things that I find uh, most interesting about this particular legal tampering period is one of the biggest stories of free agency is the Baltimore Ravens quarterback, Lamar Jackson, who is on the franchise tag. And, uh, you know, in theory, would have a lot of people talking to him about the possibility of playing for them. But because he doesn't have an agent, they can't contact him. Under the legal uh, tampering period, only right. agents uh, are allowed to talk to teams about their clients. So he's been sitting there the last couple of days while all this other stuff is going on and quarterbacks yeah. are moving from team to team. And nobody can even talk to his agent because he doesn't have an agent. Well, and I guess his mom, but if she's not right. registered, I guess they can't talk to him. So, <laughs> well, I, I don't know. I, the Baltimore Ravens and and the really the Green Bay Packers, New York Jets, Aaron Rodgers situation is probably the two biggest stories in the NFL yeah. right now because they're having mm-hmm. to do with, with the quarterbacks. We could talk for an entire podcast about the sure. Jackson situation with all these teams coming out and saying they're not interested in a for, former MVP and what that <laughs> means and the implications that it goes on with the league and. And, you know, you talk about tampering. A lot of people have used the C word, which is collusion when it comes to that situation. Yeah. But we have a lot to just talk about when it comes to these Kansas City Chiefs. We're going to go through the news as we do. We will talk about the wide receiver market and the second half of the show, why it's been so slow. We'll talk about the Chiefs that are remaining uh, as free agents. And then we'll go through the draft picks. We have a flash poll. Ton to talk about here on this Wednesday edition, this new league year edition of the Arrowhead Pride Editor Show. But first, we have a rating and a review. Oh. This from longtime listener Clinton McKenzie. This lineup of podcasts is consistently excellent. Each and every show is strong. I think my favorite is still the Editor's Show, which features Pete Sweeney and John Dixon. These are two of the most respected Chiefs voices for me. Moreover, they are simply intelligent, personable, and funny men. I never miss an episode, and I never fail to learn something from them. So thank you, oh, gentlemen. Nice. Nice. Showering showering us in, in compliments john well I, I keep telling my family members to just stop doing that but that, yeah they, they 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 can't be stopped. old cousin clint that's right <laughs> all right let's get into the the news of last night we didn't do an emergency podcast because it was it was 9 p.m and uh we we just had to talk off air about work-life balance so we didn't jump on here but let's talk about it now <laughs> the chiefs get a defensive end out of it john uh, Charles Amenu is signed uh, to the the Chiefs, and really, it's a defensive line hybrid. And this mm-hmm. has become a theme yeah. for Kansas City over the years of Steve Spagnuolo, but even more so, I think, this year or two. I believe it was uh, was it just this last year with Joe Cullen? I'm, I'm misremembering yes, it right. Yes, yeah, so right. just this yeah. last year with mm-hmm. Joe Cullen uh, as the defensive line coach. What he's building here is this positionless defensive line, and Menu fits that mold, John, of of being a part of that. Yeah, I, uh, it's funny. He's he's listed uh, as a defensive tackle, I believe. Uh, anyway, that's the way he's was being described on social media in these posts about the the signing. But then when you look at his snap counts on like Pro Football Focus. Uh, he lines up on the outside a lot more often than he lines up on the inside, but, but he is a hybrid player who can be used anywhere on the line. And that's just the kind of guy who fits in perfectly, not only with Spagnola, but also with, with Joe Cullen. 
I think I got it wrong a couple times, so I want to make this clear here. It's pronounced Omenahu. So just right. to, just to correct myself there uh, as we move forward, it's spelled O M E N I H U. So it could go either way, but I got I got to lock that in my brain before I go on Six Ten Sports Radio, which just friends here at the Arrowhead Pride right. uh, Podcast Network. So it's Omena Omenahu, uh, and he will become a big time player for the Chiefs. Chiefs really like his length. They like his explosiveness. I think they're really attracted to the idea. You talked about him on the outside, John, but him being next to Chris Jones and what mm-hmm. that might mean yeah. from a pass rushing standpoint. Wanted to talk to our lead analyst, Ron Kopp, about this. He was able to go through the film last night. So that's up at arrowheadpride.com right now. But I'll just read this synopsis since he was unavailable this morning. Ron said the Chiefs needed to add to their defensive end group in some capacity. They could steal, uh, they could still probably use an investment through the draft as well. But Amenahu gives them an immediate contributor to creating disruption as a pass rusher. He projects to be in any of the Chiefs' best pass rush packages. He gives defensive coordinator Steve Spagnuolo another layer of unpredictability with those packages, something he and Kansas City coaching staff have clearly valued uh, at the position. So really good in pass rushing. It seems like there might be some work to do when it comes to stopping the run. But this is also, John, a player that is receiving this two-year, $20 million max deal. Mm-hmm. It has been out there that he's guaranteed $16 million of that, that $20 million. He's only 25, he'll be 26 in August, and so far he's been a rotational player, but it, it does seem like the Chiefs are signing him to be a more regular player, but what does that mean for the Chiefs? The Chiefs like to rotate their defensive line anyway, so if he was receiving, let's say, 40 of the 50% of the snaps for the San Francisco 49ers, maybe he's more in the realm of 70, 80 here in Kansas city. Yeah, maybe Uh, we'll, we'll just have to see how it plays out. I I think this is one of those situations where the chiefs have an idea what they'd like to do with him, but they won't make a final decision until they've had an opportunity to see how he fits into the program and, and how things work the best deal. This, we see this with Steve Spagnuolo year after year after year that for the first you know, five, six games of the season at least, he's experimenting with uh, what combinations in this particular roster work the best for the defense. And so sometimes the defense isn't great in the early part in the season, but then by the time you get to the end, it's it's playing top, uh, top-notch football. And I think this is another case where we might see some change in in how it plays out as time goes on. Yeah, and and I I think you're right, uh, and I, it does seem like Spagnolo is willing to 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 change things up as as they go, and it's good to get guys in this early because they can start to play around with different types of of lineups uh, here in in the off season, and we'll get to know these guys uh, as we go. We're we're expecting there to be some press conferences at some point. Typically, mm-hmm. they would be at the end of this week or the beginning of next, so we'll get to see and speak to this guy in Kansas City and, and see what he's all about. But some exciting additions this week. who was the second one. Uh, we did get Jawan Taylor. We did have the emergency podcast, John. And so if you want to hear us discuss Taylor and, and what he might mean for the Chiefs, the Chiefs signing a offensive tackle from the Jacksonville Jaguars has been a right tackle in the NFL. But there have been some theories. Ron, we just talked about, included John uh, as far as, Maybe the Chiefs are seeing him as the left tackle right now. 
um, because he would have to be. Orlando Brown is is out there. There have been these rumblings mm-hmm. in the league. Sees him as a right tackle. We know in Kansas City how he feels about playing on the right side. Uh, you know, spoiler, he, he doesn't want to do it. And so uh, his whole situation is being held up. But right now here in Kansas City, Brown is a free agent. You have... Juwan Taylor here, the Chiefs see him right now, most likely as their left tackle, but he has played right tackle and he has done it at an extremely high level. Ron has suggested on, on our site, you can go look at that article as well, that maybe this is the Chiefs putting themselves in position to trade up for what could be a mm-hmm. day one starter at left tackle, a left tackle of the future. Where do you land on that, John? Well, I think that's distinctly possible, um, but I also think that, you know, I, I did some spent a little time yesterday looking at uh, our uh, list of draft prospects and how they ranked in our composite rankings, trying to figure out, you know, what the left tackle market would look like at the 31st pick. And I know some guys are crazy about this, uh, this young tackle at BYU. And of course, Andy Reid is always high on these BYU guys. It might be that the Chiefs are just going to sit tight and take, you know, a guy like that who projects to go someplace late in the second round with that 31st pick because they like him. Uh, I, I I don't know for a fact that the Chiefs really want to trade up. They might have somebody in mind that they're pretty sure they can get with that 31st pick. And uh, so they're getting uh, they're getting Juwan. So they are covered. You know, they they have a guy who can play left tackle in case they can't get the guy we want, they want at 31st. But what they really want is to bring in a young player uh, that they really believe in on the left and have Jawan play on the right. But again, you know, it's all going to depend on how these guys look when they get them together, and that includes the rookie players. Yeah, and I think this leads you to believe that maybe there's a move to be made for Brett Veach. I, I was going to talk about this at the end of the show, but let's just bring it in right now. The The Chiefs have a, a first rounder. We know that that's at 31. The Chiefs have a, a second rounder, 63. They have a round three pick. They have two round fours. They have a round five. They have uh, around two round sixes, uh, and then they have the two uh, round seven. So that's a lot of picks, John, to, to work mm-hmm. with. Yeah. And in talking to the Chiefs and some of the personnel members at the Super Bowl, I think that, that's something to remember is they never really went in thinking that they would have a chance at Trent McDuffie, where uh, this plan seems a little bit more deliberate. You know, I, I think there are some other positions that might push some tackles down, especially when you talk about quarterbacks. A lot of quarterbacks are expected to go in the first round. And maybe the Chiefs can get into that 15 to 25 range. Uh, I think they'd, they'd rather it be more in the 20 to 25 range because it would take less capital. But to go up and, and get a tackle that they feel good about. And maybe they have multiple choices here where they feel good about a couple and feel like, okay, if someone can get into that range where it's a little bit more tradable to, to get up, uh, they go and and do it. I, I think when you look at all these picks, I don't expect the Chiefs to be using all of these. I think they have too much young talent to bring in a whole new 10-man crop of, of rookies. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I think it's somewhere along the line in this draft, you're going to see them trade up. And, and why not it for the, first, for the second straight year in Kansas City in the first round? Well, while I was thinking about that yesterday, I got out my little spreadsheet that I can use to calculate uh, values uh, for trades in the draft. And if you use the Jimmy Johnson trade chart, 
if you traded, for example, the Chiefs' first round and second round picks, that's number 31 and number 63, that would give you the equivalent value to pick 19. And I, I so and there are uh, offensive tackles that could be had at that at that spot on the Rich Hill chart, which is almost identical to the Jimmy Johnson chart. It's pick 20 on the Fitzgerald Spielberger chart, which is based on uh, salaries that have been paid to players. It's equivalent to the fifth overall pick. And of course, on the John Dixon chart, which is based on uh on the, the uh, only chart that references. matters. Let's, the only yeah, chart, the only chart yeah, that matters. That the, yes. the pick thirty-one and sixty-three add up to the ninth overall pick. So if the Chiefs are willing to give up that second-round pick, uh, they could uh, they could get a pretty decent pick there in the first round. One that that might lead them to get a pretty good offensive tackle if that's the way they're thinking about going. Yeah, I think there's a lot of options. I, I think when you talk about the ten picks. I don't think the Chiefs are walking out with 10 players. I think it's probably yeah, more in the I realm of, of seven or eight players, if I'm, if I'm having a guess. I also think that right now, you have to remember Lucas Niang. I think they've been really high on Lucas Niang. This, this young man, reading now, just to remind myself, he's 24 years old. He's had a tough little road. He you know, chose to opt out of that initial season because of COVID, and then has starts for the Chiefs, but essentially got hurt as he was starting, the Chiefs were moving around their line. He ends up getting hurt again, comes back, spends most of the year on the PUP. By that time, Andrew Wiley has really carved out a role. I know we're going to talk about him in a, in a second here. Um, but this, I think, timeline for Niang leads you to believe that finally, this player that they really liked, remember as their left tackle, that was the original plan, to have him at guard and then kick him out the left tackle after Eric Fisher departed. But this player that they really liked ahead of the draft might finally be healthy again ahead of the NFL season. And the idea right now, again, before the NFL draft, is that you had to play football today. It would be Taylor as your left tackle. We know the interior of this line, Tooney, Humphrey, Smith, and then it would be Niang. And then you do still have exclusive rights free agents, Prince Tego and Nogo. We expect him to likely be in the mix when it comes to, to depth. You do have. Darian Kennard, although a lot of people feel like he'll be more of a backup guard type of player. We'll see what happens with Nick Allegretti, who's been a really solid depth player for the Chiefs in, in free agency here. But that's a pretty good line. I mean, I still think you can win a lot of games with that offensive line, yeah. and this is before the NFL draft, before we see any more picks. I think regardless of if the Chiefs trade up, they're going to have another tackle at some point in the NFL draft, whether they stay at, at 31 right. or in the mm-hmm. second, third yeah. round, something like that. And so I just, I feel okay about the offensive line now. And I know there's been some panic about moving Taylor over. I think Ron's right that that's one of the plans, but ideally you get more bodies in here and you find out the best five guys. This has been an Andy Reedism since we've started covering yeah. him is just, <laughs> we're going to roll with the best five. And no matter who that is, that that's what they're going to do. And I, I think the chiefs have a sound plan. I think Niang is an interesting player that we have to see in training camp. This will be one of the the storylines that we have going, going into it. But I think the chiefs have, have carved out themselves a, a pretty good situation along the offensive line. And they've done this before. If they have to move Taylor to left tackle, they've done it before with Orlando Brown. Orlando Brown was a, a, a right tackle in Baltimore had a mixed season in 2020 due to injury and then came to Kansas city and was their left tackle. I mean, I don't know this, but if I'm a betting man, which 
John, sometimes I put in a few wagers. I would say that Taylor <laughs> and that left tackle project based upon raw athleticism and, and from what I've kind of been talking to people about football IQ, that project might even go better than it did with Orlando mm-hmm. Brown. And then you're really a little bit more worried about that right tackle position. But are you worried if you have a Lucas Niang, potentially Prince Teguanogo, and then rookie tackle of school X. You know, I, I think you're feeling okay along the offensive line. You know, I think part of the trouble here is we're trying to evaluate what the Chiefs will do is that it's it's real easy to look at Orlando Brown Jr. as not a very good left tackle when that's not really the case. He's just yeah. not as good as people want him to be for the capital that was given up to get him. Uh, for the for the money he wants to get paid, he's just not quite up to that level. I, you know, people were saying when this deal happened, it's like, well, the Chiefs have already traded, you know, already got a right tackle and made him le- left tackle, and look what happened. Well, from the Chiefs' perspective, it worked. They would have preferred to keep Orlando Brown. They just didn't want to pay him as much money as he wanted. So um, I think that from their perspective, uh, their their first time around taking a right tackle and making them a left tackle, it worked. And it just didn't play out that that particular player uh, was ready to stay on for what he was worth. So now they have to try it again. And I think you're exactly right. I think this looks more like a situation that could play out the right way for the Chiefs where he's athletic enough to come out, come in and move to the left side and and play on the left side Uh, if that's the way it plays out. But I think the Chiefs also recognize that in the modern league, the difference between right tackle and left tackle uh, isn't as severe as it used to be. And if it turns out that uh, he's better on the right side, it's okay to leave him there. You know, you're still going to have a quality line with maybe one weak spot. If it's a, you know, a, a high quality rookie, a, uh, a first round pick, for example, playing on the left side. Sure, that's he's going to be a weak spot there for a little while. But if they get the right player, if they've if they've identified a player that they think can do that, I'd be willing to to go with their judgment on that and see how it plays out. Yeah, let's jump to why this is a, a topic of conversation right now. We already mentioned Orlando Brown and his situation, but Andrew Wiley has left the Chiefs. He will sign a three-year deal for $24 million with the Washington Commanders, becoming that second chief to, to be recruited by Eric Bieniemy to uh, what will be Washington, joining Marcus Kemp, of course, on that team from, from Kansas City. And Wiley did a really nice job working with a, a bad hand. I think he bounced around between four practice squads. was not the ideal choice for Chiefs fans, I can't tell you how many tweets I got last uh, offseason about the status of Lucas Niang as he was in the injury tent doing rehab. And when is he going to be ready? Right. Mm-hmm. And guess what? They won a Super Bowl title. And Wiley had been looking for a long term deal for a, a while now. He won a championship. Why not go play in D.C. with Eric Bieniemy and, and what they're building there? And the, the Chiefs, I think, got a lot from Wiley. And Wiley got a lot from the Chiefs, including this contract. I think it was uh, the right time to move on based upon the money and and what the Chiefs are building as far as staying young and trying to get some elite players at that position. And and Wiley gets his deal, John. Yeah, what a story. Uh, You know, a guy who bounced around from practice squad to practice squad came to Kansas City and I think a total of three times 
during his career with the Chiefs, he had to step in uh, and play for someone who was injured and did very well. I've said over and over and over again that the Chiefs coaches really love this young man, and I think they're going to sorry to see him go, but uh, they can't really afford to pay him uh, to be essentially a reserve swing tackle and guard uh, for what he was going to bring on the open market after, you know, having a great game in the Super Bowl, a highly visible performance in the Super Bowl. He was just going to be worth more money than the Chiefs wanted to spend for a, a guy in that role. And uh, so I, I wish him the best. I mean, I, I love what he's done for the Chiefs in, in Kansas City, uh, and he's he's earned all the money that he's about to get paid, and, and I'm I'm really happy for him. Sorry to see him go, however. Yeah, really, really fun guy to talk to, too. He is well known for playing video games and liking Pokemon cards and drinking yeah. beers in the off season. And he, he leaves with the best Twitter avatar profile of, of all time and saying that his Madden rating does not define him. Madden has never been too kind <laughs> to Andrew Wiley. So I always, thought, I always thought that was pretty witty. So let's just say that one more time. So good luck to Wiley. I, I, I think in a sense, you're, you're always glad that you have guys move on. We, we had talked about maybe the Broncos or the Chargers for the enemy for a long time. But Washington is a, a team that's in the NFC, and especially once they make this owner change, it'll be really easy team to root for, especially as you see some Chiefs you know, head that way. Speaking of Chiefs on the move, John, Colin Saunders has a new home. He is heading down to Nolens to play for the Saints. He ended up getting a three-year deal of his own. And uh, John, I mean, you talk about the contract year um, being undefeated. We always say RIP <laughs> to Rez Paler. That was his his big thing. But this is the definition of that. I mean, it, Colin Saunders was a, a cut candidate. I remember writing an article about uh, him potentially being a, a cut candidate in Kansas City entering training camp. And he has the year of his life. I talked to Frank Clark at the Super Bowl. Frank Clark thought he would be one of the up-and-coming best tackles in in or the mm-hmm. best defensive tackles in the NFL moving forward. He believes in himself, and why not? He goes down to New Orleans and joins Tyron Matthew, and we will see how he does uh, as well in the NFC. Yeah, uh, another great story, and and I think that uh, with Saunders, it was as much of being past injuries. He really had a lot of trouble. Uh, getting through injuries during his time in Kansas City. This is the first season in 2022 where he really uh, managed to get through the season without spending significant time uh, either inactive or on injured reserve. And he made the most of the opportunity. You know, Um, I I, I would be real interested to see how things might have played out if he had maybe missed one of those injuries where he could have two seasons uh, playing on the inside for the Chiefs. Maybe we'd have be having a different conversation about where he is today. He might be remaining in Kansas City instead of uh, moving on to another team. But, you know, these are the way things go in the NFL. You don't always get to have it the way you want it. And in Saunders' case, uh, he remained uninjured at exactly the right time in his contract year, and I think he's going to get a nice, a nice chunk of money in New Orleans. And I hope, I wish the best for him as well. Three and a half sacks last year, sack in the Super Bowl, and I thought there was a chance he might stay in Kansas City. John, I got the numbers here. He ends up getting paid on a three-year deal worth up to fourteen and a half million dollars. Just don't think the Chiefs wanted to spend that. I, you know, I think yeah. mm-hmm. despite how good he did this year, I think they feel like they can get that production 
elsewhere, maybe from a younger player that you can get on a rookie deal. And certainly Amena, who is going to be among those that are helping to replace um, Colin Saunders. Uh, speaking of players, the Chiefs may have to replace. The Chiefs end up giving punter Tommy Townsend what they call the low tender. That was what I believe Mike Garofolo called it. It's it's also called, John, the, the right of first refusal mm-hmm. tender, yeah. which still gives the Chiefs control if Townsend is able to find a more lucrative contract. Yeah, it's been interesting to me that a lot of the the – I've been keeping done most of the work and keeping up our tracker on arrowheadpride.com of all the free agent moves. There's been a lot of punters who've been making big money uh, yeah. on these new contracts. So maybe the chiefs knew something that the rest of us didn't. Um, you know, Jared Sapp was uh, early on whispering in our ears that he thought that Tommy Townsend was going to end up with a, a contract among the top punters in the league this year. Um and then it turns out he just gets this this uh, RFA tender, the lowest one that's available. But it may be that the Chiefs recognized that all these guys were going to get big contracts elsewhere and they weren't going to be looking for a guy like Tommy Townsend. They may have figured this exactly right, uh, but to give him uh, exactly the tender that he needed to have uh, to get through this free agency period. We'll see, of course. Uh, if he gets an offer to, to go to another team, but it sure looks like most of these teams have decided to pay their punters some big dollars to keep them. The chiefs are pretty sharp. I mean, not, not to use a, another betting term, but sometimes like mm-hmm. when they make the yeah. decision to let Orlando Brown go to the market and not tag, I mean, I, we were included in this, right? We were like, Whoa, right. This is a right. surprising move. And yeah. they don't, just simply sign Tommy Townsend internally to a contract. They say, well, let's go see what you can get and we'll keep, you know, we'll keep the rights of course, but you know, let's go see if, if you can go get a better deal than, you know, what is the the, mm-hmm. the low end uh, tender, which I believe is what? 2.9 John. Am I right? Right there. 2.6, 2.6 or seven. 2.6. I think it's 2.7 this year. Yeah. 2.7 like million dollars. Let's see if you can go get a, you know, a, a deal that's better than that. And then you know, you're right. You get to the open market and, and you do see punters signing, you see you know, deals happening with offensive linemen and, and who's still waiting out there, Brown and Townsend. Now, we're on a podcast. We're not going live right now, so I could look really silly by the time Steve finishes editing this and they sign these gigantic deals with other teams. But as of right now, uh, Brett Beach and company look pretty sharp. Yeah, uh, they, they, do. they continue to make sharp moves in, in keeping one of their own, I, I believe. They re, re-sign defensive tackle Turk Wharton to a very affordable contract. They also tender... Jody Fortson. These are two role players for the Chiefs. Turk Wharton, of course, had his year cut short by a significant knee injury. Jody Fortson still, I think, developing, coming into his own. So why not keep these developing guys that have this hidden value, I think, but they haven't had that Saunders year yet. And so why not stay mm-hmm. with Kansas City? Yeah. And in the case of uh, Wharton, the Chiefs actually did a little better that he was also a restricted free agent. And the Chiefs didn't actually make an RFA tender on Wharton. What they did instead was offer him a contract that will be less against the cap, just uh, as much as $2 million rather than, you know, 2.6 or 2.7, whatever that RFA tender is. Um, And in fact, will only cost $1.7 million against the cap. Wharton was willing to take this contract for less money because a substantial portion of it is guaranteed. And that's not the case 
with an RFA tender. It's a, it's a non, uh, it's guaranteed only for injury, not for, uh, for, for ability or cap. So uh, Wharton knows that he's going to make, uh, I think, $850,000 this year and possibly as much as $2 million. And that wouldn't have been the case if the Chiefs had given him an RFA tender. So another smart thing they did here, uh, make a deal with Wharton that he would accept that was actually going to cost them, you know, three quarters of a million dollars less against the cap. I'm tending to think that, all right, so this injury happened, ACL tear in October. I don't know if he's going to be ready for OTAs. This is usually a player where, um, you know, you, you'll see Rick and, and the staff um, sort of be a little bit more cautious during the mm-hmm. offseason. And yeah. so I wonder if we we don't see a healthy Wharton ready to go until a training camp. And, you know, with that in mind, too, why not take the guaranteed money, right? Like you're, you're, you're still sure. taking care of yourself. Um, so we, we talked about Wharton. We talked about Fortson, both members of the Chiefs moving forward. Prince Stegwinogo, we, we mentioned briefly in that that tackle conversation, Shane Bouchel, they are also exclusive rights-free agents. So we will see how the Chiefs handle those. Linebacker Darius Harris, he is a restricted free agent, John. Um, the Chiefs lost fullback Michael Burton, signed with the Denver Broncos. Burton, mm. what are we doing? You're with this great <laughs> fullback for Andy Reid. You replaced the sausage. I, I don't know who the fullback is going to be for Kansas City, but I have crossed out the fullback in that 53-man roster projection too many times <laughs> to, to believe that Andy Reid is not going to have a fullback on this roster. So that becomes one of the, the deep storylines of this offseason is who's going to be playing fullback from Andy Reid. Well, I think that uh, Michael Burton, uh, you can really hardly blame him to go on to play for Sean Payton again. Uh, he played, uh, he was in on 21% of the offensive snaps when he played for New Orleans and Payton in 2020 compared to no more than 8% in his two te- uh, two seasons with Kansas City. I think he sees an opportunity there to play a little bit more on offense than he has in Kansas City. And, you know, I get that. Uh, and I think maybe we, we don't know the numbers on Burton yet, but in Kansas City he played on a veteran salary benefit contract in both years, which paid him only the minimum salary, and the Chiefs actually uh, counted a little less than that against the cap. It was a good deal for the Chiefs and for him because he got a $152,000 signing bonus on top of both of those minimum contracts in both seasons. But um, uh, I think that in this case, it was just going back to a guy that he thought would give him more snaps on offense, and I, I can hardly blame him for that. I wish it was someplace besides the AFC West, but – what are you gonna do? Yeah, no secrets, right? You got you got to right. make sure that that Mike Mike keeps his mouth shut when it comes to the the Kansas City offense. Yeah, I doubt I doubt that, right? But like, well, how much is a fullback gonna help? We'll see. Uh, so yes, we have a new storyline here when it comes to which fullback will Andy Reid get. We're gonna have a conversation after the break about the wide receiver market in general. But here's a, a wide receiver note: is that the Chiefs last Friday were one of twelve teams that attended Odell Beckham Jr.'s private workout. So, I I mean, what I can tell you about this and and talking to people with the team for a while now is there has been a longstanding interest in OBJ. But Mm -hmm. the two things you got to remember is, well, it's got to be for a healthy player. He wasn't healthy for anyone last year. That's why you you saw him not sign. 
And B, it's got to be for the right price. There have been rumblings and rumors that Odell Beckham Jr. wants some kind of contract that the receivers got last year in the realm of $20 million per year. And, man, I hate to say it, as big as your name is, as cool as the one-handed catch is, as cool as you impacting a team and leading them to a Super Bowl championship is, you have to have a season in which you you play, <laughs> let's say, more than 12 games, right? Like yeah, Before right. you get this gigantic financial commitment right. so yeah i think he's gonna have to learn that the hard way and maybe he doesn't sign until what they call like the second and third waves of free agency mm-hmm. yeah. but i would expect the chiefs to be in that mix so long as they're able to work with obj and john he would have to bend in the sense of working with the chiefs on their salary cap i know we are waiting here for a potential chris jones extension and, and maybe that could alleviate some room but obj wants a, a decent contract here, the Chiefs will have to get to that point as well. Yeah. Um, and I still think it's possible we'll see a Jones extension before three o'clock on Wednesday. For all I know, it's happening right now and we're blissfully unaware of it as we record. But um, I think there's still a good chance we'll see that because I think the Chiefs want a little bit more space than they have available. We don't yet know uh, how much money Omenahu is going to cost them. Uh, against the cap this year uh, up to that point the chiefs had we estimate 6.6 million in salary cap space and omenahu's deal may have taken all of that money uh, for this season although it might have been for less we just don't know the details on his contract yet so yeah there's some there's some uh, some uncertainty about exactly how much cap space the chiefs are going to have and i agree with you that uh, because of the checkered injury history that this other OBJ has, he's actually the first OBJ, but to us, he's the second OBJ. Um, Mm -hmm. Well, I think that because of that, we're more likely to see him be a guy the Chiefs might sign in the second or third wave of free agency uh, at a substantially lower cost than, you know, a team might be paying him now. I agree with you. I don't think we're going to see him, sign uh, one of these big free agent deals in the first free in the first wave of free agency and the chiefs will be in the mix i think so you've been on this before us before with the the salary cap stuff and this might Mm -hmm. be a question that is silly and and you don't know the answer to it but what if a player misses a year of football is every incentive then unlikely to be earned if you just sit out the entire previous year yeah i think so i mean i'm not sure we've ever actually seen a deal quite like that but yes I, I i think that's the way it works it's 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 based on the previous uh season that might be the previous season played i'd have to go look at the contract to know for sure but normally it's the previous season and which could be you know as little as one game and one snap in that game right where you where you had so you know i don't know why it wouldn't why it couldn't be a season where no games were played so yeah. um, so they could have a that it'd be possible to give him a big deal that had incentives in it uh, that wouldn't show up on the cap until next year. Yes, that's absolutely possible. Yeah, so we'll see what happens with uh, the second OBJ or the first, depending on how you feel about both guys. I don't know. <laughs> we'll let you, you guys can decide that. Greg Lewis, the Chiefs, I got to get this right here. The Chiefs running backs coach, formerly their receivers coach, was hired right. by the mm-hmm. Ravens to be there wide receivers coach we talked about greg lewis's connection with andy Reid as a player well guess who else he played under in philadelphia well that was 
Ravens head coach John Harbaugh. So the Chiefs losing one of their coaches. The, the way this typically works, because I know that there have been some questions about, you know, who will replace Greg Lewis. The Chiefs usually announce these coaching chase changes all in one shot. As mm-hmm. me and John talk about blissfully unaware, we're probably out eating lunch for for the offseason or something. And this and the Chiefs, <laughs> hey, surprise! Here are the sixteen coaching changes for for this year, and then we have to run home. But uh, Greg Lewis will. He, he was a really funny guy. Really had some drive. I thought he was a great yes. interview when they did have these assistant coach interviews. I think he'll be missed by Kansas City, and and we'll see who's next up uh, at the running backs coach position, but you, you see Lewis and you see the enemy leave that idea of, of familiarity in the running backs mm-hmm. room see, is seemingly going to be out the window with whoever the chiefs end up bringing in, bring in here. Well, you know, this is interesting to me. The, the chiefs have been a really good team for a number of years now. Uh, mm-hmm. What is it? I have to stop and think it's seven AFC West championships, right? Is that, or is That's, it six now? I, I think I, I said was, six the other day and I was yeah. incorrect. I, I think it is seven. <laughs> okay. I, I said six. So this is a team that's been really good for a long time. And we've really had very few coaching changes. I mean, with Biennemi and uh, Greg Lewis leaving, this might be the highest profile exits we've had for a while. Um, I mean, yes, we've had offensive coordinators that go to became went to become head coaches elsewhere, but I don't think there were very many uh, assistant coaches under them that went elsewhere. So um, this is as much change as we've seen in a Chiefs coaching staff since Andy Reid's been here, and yet it's not very much. So this is kind of interesting to me because a lot of teams, uh, when they win a Super Bowl, you know, both coordinators go someplace else. That happened to the Eagles this year that they lost both of their coordinators after the Super Bowl and they lost. So uh, this is kind of strange to me that the, the rest of the league hasn't decided they want Andy Reid's coaches. Uh, but it's OK with me that it plays out this way. Yeah, and Andy Reid's in- incredibly loyal to these guys. I mean, he'll, he'll keep keep guys around for maybe longer than even they should have. I'm looking at you, Bob Sutton. In 2018. Um, oh but I think ultimately that's more of a, a net positive than it is a negative because yeah. I mean, even players will tell you they like how, you know, they can be familiar to there. There's some consistency there from year to year. You can improve from year to year and a coach knows you and that, you know, they're back next year. So we'll see uh, how this coaching staff changes as we go. One thing we have to mention before we hit the break, John, and, and you've become not only our, our salary cap guy, along with Jared, who does a great job with that stuff, but really our Chiefs historian. Uh, unfortunately, it's sad to report, Chiefs legend Otis Taylor passed away last Friday at the age of, of 80. I'll let you speak to Taylor, but I, I think the most impressive point to me in, in covering this team since around 2014 is he was the Chiefs' best receiver, really, in history until Tyreek Hill came around, right? And that's a long time. And so I, I just thought that was such an impressive feat that, that Taylor was able to accomplish. Well, you know, uh, it, it's interesting to me looking at his stats. Uh, I happen to be the guy who wrote the article on his passing. Um, he averaged uh, just under 20 yards a catch uh, during yeah. his uh, 11-year career in which he gained, I think it was 7,300-some-odd yards. I'm bringing these numbers up from memory but you know if you look at uh uh, last year's leaderboard that would have been good for second in the league in 2022 and taylor did that in an era where he could be mugged coming off the line of scrimmage 
which tells you quite a bit about uh, what kind of a player he was in that era. You can't ever, you know, compare these uh, players from that era to a modern player directly. There's just too much about the game that's changed. But I think in Taylor's case, what he did was harder to do than it is today. Um, and I, and so I think we have to give a lot of respect to what he did there. And, and I also happened to read, uh, Valhe Gagarin's spirited, um, uh, characterization of, of Taylor as a hall of flame pay, player that he wrote, uh, last summer. And I, I have to go along. I, it's just a, a shame that he was never, uh, inducted into the hall while he was still alive, but maybe we'll see him go in after he's gone. Uh, I, I think there's been a lot of things that has kept that from happening up to this point, but I think you can really argue that he belongs there. We'll see how it goes. Well said. So rest in peace to Otis Taylor. When we come back here on the editor show, we'll talk about that wide receiver market. Why maybe it's been so slow. We, we do have some unrestricted free agent receivers that are Kansas city chiefs. We'll talk about quickly who's left as far as UFAs go in Kansas City, and we'll end with our flash poll. Stay with us right here on the Arrowhead Pride Editor Show. Back here on the Arrowhead Pride Editor Show, Pete Sweeney here with John Dixon. Happy League New Year to you and yours. <laughs> I hope you guys are taking in the, the new year with friends and family. I think that it's a tradition, right, to eat <laughs> eat fish when you, you have... The new year, isn't it? Like, isn't that a, a, a thing that brings good luck? Isn't there a certain uh, type of fish you're supposed to eat? I don't know. I, I haven't really, I'm not really up on an NFL league year for traditions. I don't know. I, mean, I don't know if it extends to, to the NFL, but here we go. Let me Google quick as, as AI becomes better and better. I can just answer your questions automatically. Fish is believed to be a lucky <laughs> New Year's Eve food because fish's scales resemble coins. And they swim in schools, which involves the idea of abundance. So if you're listening to this and you you do end up having fish on this new league year day, make sure you tweet it at PG Sween uh, and I will retweet your fish. OK, let's get into the wide receiver market and why it's been so slow, John. Right. We see this previous season where. You got Christian Kirk signing a big deal, Mike Williams. We know about Tyreek Hill, Devontae Adams, et cetera, et cetera. You get to this year, and it's hard to find any wide receiver news. There have been two big deals of note. Jacoby Myers signed a three-year, $33 million contract with the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, that included $21 million guaranteed. This comes after a year in which Myers threw a pass to the other team, which was the Raiders, and they ended up winning the game right into the hands of Chandler Jones. I don't know. <laughs> We should be looking into that. Uh, Alan Lazard, uh, this goes into the Rodgers and, and Jets situation. seems like Rodgers is trying to recruit his friends before he is even traded to the Jets. Let's talk about tampering. I mean, what are we talking about here? <laughs> but Alan Lazard, uh, he signs a four-year, $44 million contract, annual salary of uh, $11 million here. And, and that seems to be the consensus thought when it comes to what the contracts might be. For, for these guys, John, which I, I think is a little bit surprising. I, I thought we expected the receiver market to maybe not be what it was last year, which was absolute madness, but be better than this. And probably saddest here are the likes of Juju Smith-Schuster and to a lesser extent, McCole Hardman, and to an even lesser extent, Justin Watson, who was a really nice player as far as a role player goes for the Chiefs last year. What do you make of the slow wide receiver market? 
Well, I think that uh, I think this is a market correction. I think that last year it went completely insane because there were teams uh, that thought they had, you know, found the magic potion uh, to buy success in the NFL to, you know, sign some big wide receiver to a big expensive deal and everything would fall your way. Well, guess what? That didn't happen. And in fact, uh, one of the teams that gave up one of those expensive wide receivers uh, happens to be the Kansas City Chiefs went and won the Super Bowl. Yeah. So I think that in the eyes of a, of a typical NFL general manager, they're going, well, gee, I guess I don't want to follow that plan this year, do I? So I'm not going to go out there and pay big money for a wide receiver that's out there. I'm going to spend my money elsewhere this season. And I think that's what's happened is that uh, basically we're having a market correction, which is unfortunate in the case, as you noted, of a player like McCole Hardman or, Juju Smith-Schuster, both of whom uh, are in a position to get much better deals than they've had in the past. But it's, um, you know, it's good for the Chiefs as a team because they probably won't have to spend as much in free agency on a receiver as they might have otherwise. Yeah, I'm looking at at Twitter as, as we go here, and if there's ever a day for something we might be able to talk about live, it's today. <laughs> and this is more speculation, but for example, I think you're starting to see here on what is day three of legal tampering. Mm-hmm. Again, we're approaching the new league year in a couple hours as we record. The Patriots, apparently, according to the Boston Herald, have serious interest in signing Juju Smith-Schuster. And I, I think the Chiefs want to retain him, but they're not going to overpay. So it, I think it's just a, something to, to watch. Um, I think they have proven to themselves, as you noted, John, that even if they lose certain players that played a big role in the previous season, they could find other guys to bring in and, and win a Super Bowl. I think they'd really like Smith Schuster back, but mm-hmm. if the market tends to drive his value up, I think much past that Lazard area, I don't think they're going north of fifteen ish in, in that realm, or nor they could for it for a Smith Schuster just based upon the cap. And again, that goes into what he wants and the Chiefs need to to make sure they take care of the positions of need before they go and get uh, Smith Schuster yeah. back, but again, Smith Schuster was always a player. And I'm like this is more that I felt about Smith Schuster than Hardman, where it just felt like he wanted to be back in Kansas City. Whereas Hardman, I think he wanted to be back in Kansas City, but it was more of I also want someone to take care of me, and I, I still mm-hmm. think yeah. When this is all said and done, Smith Schuster will be back, and Hardman won't. But again, we will find out as we go here in the, the coming days. Let's go through the other unrestricted free agents, John here. We talked about Brown, so we don't need to go anymore with him. Nick Allegretti, Blake Bell, Ronald Jones, Jarek McKinnon, Carlos Dunlap, Derek Noddy, Brandon Williams, Dion Bush, and Juan Thornhill. As you look at those those players, John, and, and that list, does any player in particular jump out? Are there multiple players that you think will certainly be back here slam dunks, or do you think there's a chance that all these guys go? Allegretti, Bell, Jones, McKinnon, Dunlap, Noddy, Williams, Bush, and Thornhill. I don't see a, a single slam dunk on this list, you know, where I'm like, oh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I you know, I was on record for two consecutive podcasts saying I thought the Chiefs would re-sign Orlando Brown. And that still remains a possibility, but it's a long way from a slam dunk now. So I'll, I'll have to to go back on, on that previously expressed opinion. Um, 
I don't think as much as they liked Carlos Dunlap as as effective as he was, I don't think they're going to want to bring him back. Brandon Williams was a useful player uh, for 2022, but I don't see him coming back. Juan Thornhill, you can make an argument that he should come back, but I don't think that's going to happen. I just don't see any of these guys as a slam dunk. Yeah, I mean, I I think if I was playing this game as well, I feel like Watson will be back. Like if that's the receiver market for Lazard, Watson is going to be an affordable player. They really like that. That he feels like he'll he'll be back in Kansas City. I can I feel slam dunky about that. Is that a good adjective? Uh, Blake Bell is close to there for me. You know, I I think they want to keep that particular band back. You know, together. I I think he's been good. Although you know you did have really Noah Gray surge. I think a bit more than than we expected last year. Mm-hmm. They didn't, yeah, I they agree. Didn't, for a lot of the year and they ended up being okay there but you're right i i mckinnon and you know jones won't be back he doesn't want any part of kansas city mckinnon to me will make too much money dunlap dunlap is going to come in wherever he's going in his bucket hat and in the third fourth week of training (laughs) camp and so we don't have to worry about him for a long time i mean he might actually be back in kansas city but it won't be until the weather is much different than it is right now I, I don't know about Nadia. I don't know about Williams. I don't know about Bush, and I don't know about Thornhill. So I think you're you're right along there. So I my slam dunks. I think my only slam dunk, as I talk out loud here, which is what you do on a podcast, is Justin Watson. I think Justin Watson will be back. Well, I agree with you on that one actually, because uh, I was only looking at the list from Allegretti down. I'd forgotten that Watson was another UFA yeah. that could be included there. So I'll agree with you on Watson. Uh, just because uh, he's not going to command a lot of money, and he was useful. Uh, and productive for the money that he earned last year, I think. And, and you know, we could have a problem getting all the wide receivers that are needed for this team in 2023. So I, I agree with you that Watson looks like somebody that will be back. Uh, the rest of them, though, I, I know a lot of people want Jared McKinnon back, and I go along with that. He had a fantastic year in 2022. But, you know, this is what Andy Reid does. You know, I think I joked with you yesterday when uh, when J.D. McKissick was released. Now, he was actually released uh, after not passing a physical, but he's on the market now. And I think I said to you, you know, this is the kind of player that Andy Reid's going to sign. Uh, and suddenly he's going to have this big productive season. And I think that's what we're going to see is a player that we just would never have imagined as a Kansas City Chief coming in as uh, as a running back and and being productive in this offense. Yeah, I just think that there are too many names out there for the Chiefs to pay any kind of premium. And I just yeah. think McKinnon, because of his production and because of winning the offensive player of the month through December, January, is going to command too much money than yeah. the Chiefs spend at, at running back. I mean, you have some other names out there. You mentioned McKinnis, uh, I'm sorry, Mc, Mc, McKissick, Jamal Williams. It's another yeah. name that is suddenly out there, right? Like you have other options. Uh, you know, Chase Edmonds is is available. Rex Burkett, bad memory at Arrowhead Stadium, but he's even out there. When you have a starter on a rookie contract like uh, a a uh, Isaiah Pacheco, I just don't know if you're in a rush necessarily to to mm-hmm. go and sign a yeah. premium you know player at, at at running back. So yeah, I agree. I agree. All right, let's go to our editor's show flash poll here, John. I simply asked a question on the, the two big signings that the Chiefs had so far. Who did Chiefs fans like better? Was it Taylor or Omenu? I'm going to hmm, 
have to think about this one for a minute. Um, I'm going to say Taylor, just because I think fans have been anxious to get the Orlando Brown situation resolved. So I'm going to say that that's going to enter into this and make him the more popular selection at this point. Yeah, you know what? I have certainly not kept stats on on the flashbulls. I've I've never done any kind of record keeping, but I think this might be the closest one we've ever had. Taylor comes in at fifty two point five, Omenahu comes in at forty seven point five. So this fan base is essentially split on mm-hmm. on these two free agent signings. That's sixteen hundred votes, sixteen hundred Chiefs fans weighing in as we discuss on on and I you know I kind of see why. Maybe Taylor gets gets the the edge there, and I think it's because, regardless of losing Frank Clark, because of how great Karloftis has looked, you are okay, feel okay along the defensive line, especially given that Chris Jones is still in the contract. A tackle with Wiley and Brown leaving, you got nothing right now. So Taylor coming in at least mm-hmm. solves a need. So I think that gives Taylor the the slight edge. But a lot of Chiefs fans are are excited about Amenu as well. Well. I think it's interesting that they're so close to each other. Uh, I would have I would have thought that Taylor would have had a slightly bigger majority, but now that you tell me that they're very close in percentage, I can kind of see that because I think right now, I don't think this was true a few weeks ago, but right now, I think Chiefs fans are pretty much evenly split on what the biggest need on the team is. And uh, and that would probably be between uh, an edge rusher and uh, and a offensive tackle. So I guess it's not su- that surprising. Yeah, well, that's a flashbowl. And that is a podcast as we enter the new league year here at ArrowheadPride.com and on the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network. We're keeping you updated at AP. If you, if you go on there, John and I um, are keeping it free agency tracker going. It's on the bottom right of the, the homepage. If, if you want to, we're updating it as much as we can, right? We're, we're, we're not around the clock here. I mean, we're doing this by hand, the 2023 version of by hand, as they say, but we will be updating that uh, as we go. It allows you to comment and discuss some of the moves around the league. Uh, we also will be putting up articles that have to do with the Kansas city chiefs and, and their movement. We added Michael Burton and Colin Saunders moving on today. And we'll of course be covering all of the, the players that the Chiefs acquire in, you know, what is this this new league year? I want to thank Steve, who continues to put up great stuff here on the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network. Of course, thank you to John. My book is available at Dynasty Begins, twitter.com slash pgsween. There's a link up if you want to remember the 2022 season in your man cave and with your family and otherwise. Again, thank you to Steve and John. This has been a new league year edition of the Arrowhead Pride Editor Show. Go get you some fish.